Right, for, for those of you who have been to the seminars that I've been doing, we've, we've already covered, and, and there's no way I can do that again now, the fact that leadership at the local level in churches that are based on the teaching of Scripture are simply brothers who are referred to in Scripture as, as being elders, bishops or overseers, shepherds or pastors, simply synonymous terms for the same group of people. And when it comes to leadership, this leadership can at times, as the Lord lead, be augmented by itinerant ministries, people who come in from the outside just to help. And they'll come in and they'll help out and then they'll go on their way. Okay. So basically that's, that's the kind of leadership we see in scripture. And obviously elders in a local church are raised up from within that church. Okay. So they're, they're homegrown brothers and they're known through and through. And of course, basically, if you are recognizing someone as an elder, the fundamental, you know, you go through all the qualifications because you know them really well, and the, the, the basic question you're asking is, is this guy safe? That's the basic question. And once you've established that someone is safe to be an elder, then you can recognize them as such. But what we're going to move on to now is we're not concerned directly with establishing what the Bible teaches about leadership, but we're going to be looking now at leadership as it relates to church government. Because any group of people needs to have a governing power. On what basis do you as a church, if, if so be you're part of a biblical church, how do you decide what is the mechanism for deciding what you're going to do? Or in other, in, in other ways of saying it, who is it that tells you what to do? Is it your leaders? And so now what we're going to be looking at is the relationship between leadership and how churches are to be governed. And what I want to show you is that this is very much, as one of the things that I keep banging on about, is that if you depart from what the Bible teaches, you eventually will not merely have something that's different to what the Bible teaches, you'll always end up with the exact opposite. And we're demonstrating that every aspect of a biblical church is actually simply the diametric opposite of the churches as they've been for 1800 years. So if you want to know what's biblical, look at churches as by and large they exist, uh, extrapolate to the exact opposite and you've got a biblical church. And so basically, we're going to be seeing this in regards to um, kind of who calls the shots. And if you turn with me to Acts 1, so we're going to be little little scoot through Acts now, and we're going to look at the issue of decision-making. And what we're going to be asking is, in these scriptures we're going to read, and they're fairly comprehensive, we're going to be asking... What's, what's the flavour here? What, what's the push here? What is the thinking amongst these people as decisions are being made in regards to church life or actually in regards to anything? Now firstly, in Acts, 15, uh, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 15 to 17. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, so every believer in Jesus there was, is here, okay? And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of, mouth of David concerning Judas. So what happens here is that Peter's standing up and saying, Hey, something needs to be done about replacing Judas. Now, I don't want to get into the ins and outs of that. I'm simply looking at how they made a decision. Not asking whether a decision was right or wrong, or, or even whether one needed to be made. We're just asking, how did they go about decision-making? Now, let's go to verse 23. So they proposed two men. So Peter has said, hey guys, we need a replacement for Judas. Who is he saying this to? The 119 other believers there with him. And it says, so they proposed two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, Matthias as well. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. 
show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. Verse 26, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. Now all I'm interested in is getting the idea here. This is Peter, big, bold, brassy Peter. The one who was used to coming up with suggestions, telling people what to do, running ahead of just about everything the Lord ever wanted him to do in his life. Okay, And Peter stands up and he says, here's a need. And how did they resolve it? They proposed. Can you see the point? Peter did not say, this is what's got to happen. This is God's will. Neither did he get the other ten apostles and say, right guys, what are we going to say? What's the answer here? The whole gathering sought the Lord and whether it was right or wrong, the whole gathering came up with a sense of what they thought God wanted. That's the thing I want you to take out of that. There is no CEO, executive authority, working here. Go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is crucial because it's the very first mention of the church experiencing internal problems because there were murmurings going on because some people were being left out. This, whenever the church is attacked by Satan from the outside, it grows and flourishes. Whenever Satan attacks from the inside through believers' sins, that is when the church is in danger. So this was a real crucial thing. And of course, as you know, the uh, kind of, you know, they, they needed to have people to get stuff out to the widows in need. And basically the apostles are saying, well, we've been doing our best, but we're just too hard pushed. We can't do it anymore. And so let's, let, let's just read it. In the days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained. It's the first example of complaining in the church in Scripture because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of God's word, the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group they chose Stephen. Now what I want you to get here, there's a problem. And the problem has arisen because the apostles were no longer able to be giving this function the attention it needed. They were falling down on the job. It wasn't their fault, they were too busy to do it. They were overstretched. But they realised there was murmuring, so they got everyone together. And this is what leadership in the church does by way of functioning. It will take the lead in identifying problems and bring people together to say, hey, something needs to be done about this. But all the apostles are doing is say, we cannot do this anymore. Now, that's not telling anyone what to do. They were just saying what related to them. If somebody says, hey, Beresford, will you come and do this? And if I say, oh, crumbs, no, I'm too busy, sorry, I can't, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying what I can do or what I can't do. Okay, so the apostles just said, hey, we can't do this anymore. We need other people to do it. So that was a pretty good suggestion. Seven other people should be able to manage it okay. Everyone was happy with that suggestion. Indeed, the NIV translates it as a proposal. And it pleased, here's the thing, the whole group. This was hundreds of believers who were coming together here. The whole group was pleased. And then, once everyone said, hey, that's a great idea, seven men, what did the apostles say? They said, okay, so choose them. Does, does executive authority leave it to the plebs, the minions, to choose functions? No. If you have executive authority, they're there to do that as well. And so the apostles, they just handed it over and they said, okay, guys, choose seven men. Now, the question, who's calling the shots here? This is all I want you to get hold of. The apostles, from the word go, even before Pentecost, 
from the word go, and remember, they've been trained by Jesus for three and a half years. What is their thinking? Their thinking is, the Lord is going to show us what he wants through the gathered community of believers that the decision affects. Do you see the principle that's emerging here? They looked to the Lord to lead them and show them what they needed to know through the gathered assembly. Okay. Let's go on to Acts 15. And this is the next example in Scripture of when church churches got together, all the Jerusalem churches, and Paul came down from Antioch. Big, big thing about do we circumcise Gentile converts or not? And it was a big controversy. It had to be sorted out, okay? First of all, verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now, if you just choose verses out of context and ignore other things the Bible says, you won't get the whole picture. So you could, you could just have this verse, and I could teach from this verse, assuming I carefully ignored any other verses, that, oh no, the, the leaders discuss the question. The leaders decide. Okay, now let's go over to, 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 to verse 12. The whole assembly, it's ecclesia. The whole assembly became silent. So, yeah, we're told the apostles and the elders discussed this because if you've got, and there are possibly two, three hundred people here, maybe more, with that group of people, you can't, you can't have everyone taking part in the discussion. This isn't a church gathering. This is an inter-church gathering. There are multiple churches here. So what happens here is then the leaders, they discuss the problem, but everyone else is there listening. So the leaders kick the ball round, they chew it over, here, there, this, that, and the other, okay. Then in verse 22, then the apostles, oh yeah, and then, sorry, after that what happens is James stands up and he sums up. And, and he's, he's kind of saying, well look, it's, it's my understanding, it's my judgment that this is all boiling down to this. Peter has spoken, Paul has spoken, the other apostles and elders have spoken, and James kind of sums up. And again, most people when they teach on that, they leave it there. They stop reading from the end of verse 21. So James has finished what he says, and then they stop, as if James is telling them the way it's going to be. Ah, but look at the next verse. Then... So everyone has talked it out, and because there's so many people there, the leaders have done the kicking the ball around, well, there's this to discover and, and that to consider and this to take into account, okay. But then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided. Now, they decided to send a letter to tell them what, you know, so that everyone would know the decision they come to. But here's the point. Who did the deciding? Everyone. The gathered church. Everyone who was there whom the decision affected. And this is an inter-church thing. This is, a, obviously, churches were small then. This is loads of churches coming together. But the point is, the decision was reached by the leaders? No. By everyone gathered. The leaders facilitated the making of the decision. But it was not the leaders who made the decision itself. And this was a tremendously important uh, kind of thing that they were talking about. And then the letter begins, remember, in the ancient world, a letter began with who it's from. You didn't have to wait till the end, like in letters that we write. Now, it says here, the apostles and elders, your brothers. Bit of a bad translation there. Um, I'm using the NIV, the nearly inspired version, and it just gets that little bit wrong, okay? And what it should read is not the, eld the apostles and elders, your brothers, as if it's the apostles and elders, your brothers. What this should read is, here is a letter from the apostles and the elders and the brothers. So what does the brothers designate? 
the whole gathered church who were there making that decision. So the point is, again, what we're seeing here, and now even if people want to argue that here the apostles and elders decided the doctrinal issue and it was just the gathered church that decided to send the letter, now the point is that still doesn't cut it for CEO authority. That would just mean that the apostles were making that doctrinal decision. But of course the point is we now have it in scripture. There are no more doctrinal decisions to make. So that would be the uniqueness of the 12 in their capacity of what Steve calls capital A apostles. And of course they're long gone, they're a little A apostles still, but obviously now because we have the scripture, we don't need anyone to be deciding new doctrines, we just need as the church to be trying to understand what we already have in the scripture. But I'm trying to show you the thinking here, the attitude, is this of leaders seeking God, finding the answer from the Lord to their own satisfaction, and then telling everyone else what to do, expecting them to just go along with it. No, we're not seeing that at all. Quite the contrary. We're seeing leaders taking a lead in facilitating things, but when it comes to the making of decisions, we're seeing that the decisions are made collectively, consensually, by everyone present whom those decisions affect. And of course, what this boils down to in an individual church that you are part of, if it's a biblical church, is that obviously decisions that affect you as a church, who is going to make the decision? The church. Everyone there, because that's what it affects. Not leaders just telling people how it's going to be. Now, if you go to Matthew, this is a bit astounding. Matthew, chapter 18 and verse 17. Now, anyone who's been practicing biblical church life for any amount of time will have hit up against the fact that the most serious, the most solemn thing that any church can be called upon to do is to practice church discipline. One of the most difficult things you will ever go through as biblical churches is if you ever have to expel someone from amongst yourselves. So if that is the most serious decision churches ever have to make, we've got to know then who makes that decision. Who is responsible for deciding that someone actually needs to be expelled from the assembly because they're either in unrepentant sin or maybe in unrepentant heresy or something like that? Who decides? And what's interesting is that Jesus, in Matthew 18, verse 17, and as soon as he introduces his teaching blatantly in his ministry about church life, he begins off with putting people out of fellowship. Because this is how a church pleases itself. So you've got to know who decides what. And of course he says, go to your brother. If you win him, fine. If not, then bring in others to be witnesses. And that's not to gang up on him. That's for them to be our, you know, objective witnesses, because you might be wrong. But the point is, if there's a case here for excommunication, and it's gone through the process of the individual and then a few brothers, okay, then we've got to ask, what is the final court of appeal? And Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Does he say tell it to the elders? He doesn't. He said tell it to the church. Now, incredibly, we have a letter written by Paul most of the information that we have through, well no, not most of it, but a very significant proportion of the teaching and information that we have in Scripture, particularly through the letters that apostles wrote to churches, was correcting what goes wrong. And that's why it's so valuable. And if you haven't had stuff go seriously wrong yet, you're still on your honeymoon. It will come, believe you me. Okay. Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, they actually had a situation where a brother was among them who was in such blatant 
willful and unrepentant sin, that it was a no-brainer. This guy should not have been permitted to remain in the church until such time as he repented. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, and in chapter 5, you can see his treatment, how he's saying what they should have done, and, hey, you know, guys, you know better than this. What are you doing tolerating this sin in the church? And so he actually tells them that this, this man is to be put out of the assembly, and you can read all that in 1 Corinthians 5. So here we have a letter partly written to a church making it clear to them that there's someone whom they should have expelled that they haven't and he's urging them to take responsibility and to do it that letter doesn't even mention leaders elders are not even mentioned in 1 Corinthians isn't that incredible if the case was that elders are there to make the decisions I mean, yeah, elders are there to guard the flock. It may be, indeed it should be, that if there's anything going on that others have missed, if you have got to the point of recognising elders, they will indeed spot the problem. But having spotted the problem, even if it's as serious as someone who should no longer be in the church, do they just say to that person, go away, and then the next time they're at the church, they say, guys, just so you know, we had to expel someone, and it was for these reasons. No. Elders may guard the flock and see the problem, but only the church can authorise that action. So if the elders are not carrying everyone with them in that decision, they do not have the authority to do anything about it. Can you see the point? Because otherwise, how are you going to be protected from leadership if the leadership goes wrong? That's the point. Remember, I said earlier, if you want to sum up the qualifications for someone to be recognised as an elder, it all boils down to them being safe. But however safe they are, they're still not safe enough to be making decisions like that on their own. And I'll tell you why not. Because they are sinners. And because they are prone to get things wrong and to get deceived like anyone else. So the safety, the safety mechanism when it comes to church government is that decisions are made by the whole gathered assembly. So basically what I'm showing you here is that when it comes to decision making, because when we're talking about government, be it church government, national government, uh, you know, whatever, by definition you're talking about who makes the decisions. And what we're seeing is when it comes down to church life, decisions are made consensually and collectively by the whole church. So what you're looking for is the Lord to be leading you as churches through everyone who's gathered. Okay. Now, one of the things that anyone hears me teach much, hears me say again and again and again, I don't want anyone to take anything from me. Because anything could just be that crazy Englishman's interpretation of the Bible. This is just his slant. You know, he's just, just doing, you know, textual gymnastics and, you know, the quickness of the argument deceives the brain, that, that kind of thing. And I'm going to quote from some of the experts, because I'm not an expert, okay? But Donald Guthrie was vice principal of the London Bible College. Now, you can, you can buy books that thick, commentaries, systematic theologies that this guy, Donald Guthrie, has written. Who's got Guthrie's commentaries? There you go. Look, John Zenz has. I mean, that speaks for itself. Steve, Steve, you see, look, this is brother over here. Yeah, I mean, Donald Guthrie, I mean, no one is going to challenge his scholarship, his understanding of Scripture. So... What I say, I'd agree that's pretty highly debatable, but Donald Guthrie, well, you really want to listen carefully to anything that he's saying about what the Bible says, okay? And he says this. Oh, and incidentally, one of the things that I noticed about his commentary, uh, no, his systematic theology, John's got it, it's even bigger than John's bibliographies at the end of his articles. <laughs> wow, that's, that's something else. Well, Donald Guthrie says this. Speaking of churches in New Testament times, he says, and I'm quoting him, and this is from his New Testament theology, published by InterVarsity Press. 
Have you, have you heard of them? Now let me tell you, one of the mistakes that the early church made is they closed the canon of Scripture too hastily. It shouldn't end with Revelation. It should actually end with InterVarsity Press publications. Can you see? I mean, this is solid Christian theology. There's nothing weird or off the wall about InterVarsity Press in the broad sense. Can you see what I'm saying? And Donald Guthrie says this. The churches were living organisms rather than organisations. When decisions were made, they were made by the whole company of believers, not simply the officials. Wow, they didn't teach you in seminary that, if you were unfortunate enough to go. It's just in all the books they gave you to read. I'll read it again. When decisions were made, they were made by the whole company of believers, not simply the officials. So all that tells you is this. John Drain reads the same New Testament that we do. Sorry, not John Drain. Uh, I'm coming on to him. Donald Guthrie reads the same New Testament as us. And it's obvious. I've just shown it to you from the Scriptures. Who could possibly argue with what I've just said if indeed they're arguing from the perspective of what the Bible says. And the scholars don't. They're aware of this. They just don't do it themselves. Now, John Drain, Steve quoted from John Drain. Now, he is lecturer in practical theology at Aberdeen University. He is also adjunct professor of New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary. Do I hear cheers? Not only that, he is a visiting professor at Morling College, Sydney. By the time I've finished reading you the quote that I've chosen from him, he will have become visiting professor of somewhere else. And by the time I've finished this talk, he will have become adjunct professor at seminaries in three different continents. This guy is as big as you get, and his stuff is great. And he says this, and this is in his book, Introducing the New Testament. Instead of the community of the Spirit it had originally been, the church, and he's talking here about the transition from the teaching of the apostles to the early church fathers. So he's talking about in the years after the apostles died and after the New Testament was completed. Well, apart from the IVP stuff, but obviously that was going to come later, okay. He says, instead of the community of the Spirit it had originally been, the church came to be seen as a vast organisation. Instead of relying on the Spirit's direct guidance, it was controlled by a hierarchy of ordained men. Now, what's he saying? He's saying in the, in the New Testament churches, leadership was not hierarchical. It was not positional. It was functional. It was not executive in any way. And the decisions, they looked for the Lord to lead them through the whole gathered church. And he's saying that when the fathers came in and changed the church, in actual fact into the exact opposite of what it was before, they needed to bring in leadership by hierarchy. So that now leadership is in charge of the church and it's there to tell you what to do. And the, the kind of, the evidence is here from the scholars as well. Don't take it just from me. This is undeniably without any question at all, what Scripture teaches. And the experts aren't arguing with it in regards to what the Bible teaches. They just don't believe that it was okay to go on with it. They believe that church life should take a different form. We're just saying no. The form it took in Scripture is the form the apostles taught where did the apostles get their teaching? They got it from Jesus. So if you want to ask me, hey, who do you want to go with? No, let me ask you, who do you want to go with? 
Would you rather go with Jesus or would you rather go with me? Oh, well, what? You still like me, do you? Thanks, yeah. Of course. So, would you rather go with Jesus or with the experts? I know who I want to go with. I want to go with what Jesus has taught. I want to go with the scripture. And of course, when Jesus addressed this thing with the apostles, preparing them for leadership in the new churches that were going to come into being, he said precisely, when it comes to church life, the Gentiles lord it over each other. Now, that's not actually Jesus saying there's anything wrong with that. It's right that the government lords it over us. God's put them there to do it. I mean, lording over is just the way of saying they're in charge of you. They, they could do it badly or they could do it well. A husband lords it over his family. He is the executive authority. Now, he could do it badly or he could do it well, lovingly, sacrificially, as we heard earlier. So there's nothing wrong. Jesus is not condemning hierarchy, period. Hierarchy belongs in its right places where God has put it. Family life, government, as we heard earlier. But not in the church. Jesus specifically said leadership in the church is not to be hierarchical. The mode of government amongst churches is going to be through consensus of all the people. And let me tell you why the most basic fundamental theological reason why it's ridiculous to think in terms of a church having a hierarchical leadership. And it's because there is already a hierarchy that has been established. And it's Jesus and everyone else. Equal, but submitted. Thank you for that this morning. So there's no need of human hierarchy when it comes to church life. Now, what I want us to do now is to, 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 to go through the New Testament letters. Now, the letters represent information that apostles who planted churches are writing to those churches telling them everything they need to know about church life. So whatever you need to know about your relationship to leaders, to elders of the church, will be in those letters. And the question I want to ask is quite simply this. Is the Bible as leader-oriented and obsessed as the Christian churches by and large? Because what matters, obviously, in unbiblical churches is all the time relationship of the non-leaders to the leaders. Relationship of the non-leaders to the leaders. And that's one of the biggest themes. That and money are probably the two biggest themes in church life. Leadership, authority and money. Now, interspersed by teaching on other stuff, but it always comes back to the foundation of leadership and money. So what we're going to do, we're going to ask, as we see letters written by Paul and others to believers in churches that they've planted or churches that they're influencing and trying to teach, we've got to ask, what are they telling these churches about their relationship to the leaders? Because if we see how much emphasis they place on it, we'll get the right perspective for our own selves. So, is leadership the be-all and end-all that most people make it out to be? If you go to Romans, all right, let's start with Paul's first letter as it appears in Scripture, and we're asking. Now, Romans is incredible because it's Paul's most system systematic treatment of everything. All right, life, universe, and everything. Only he didn't conclude that the answer to life was 42. But the point is, this is Paul's treatment of it's his most widely spaced work, okay? So, what does he tell them? What is it that Paul wants to know about this vitally important relationship between them and their leaders? What does he tell them? Okay, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, now then, what we're asking is that Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians. Now, this is a real biggie, because here, they've actually got to put someone out of the assembly. Wow, this is heavy-duty stuff. So we're asking, what does Paul teach the Corinthians 
about their relationship to their elders, to their leaders? What, what's the information that these people so desperately need, virtually that their Christian life and their church life depends on? What does he tell them? Okay, if you go over to 2 Corinthians, this, wow, this doesn't take long, this is a fast Bible study, isn't it? Now, in 2 Corinthians, what we're asking is, what does Paul, because he obviously forgot to mention this in 1 Corinthians, so what does he sort of, oh, got to step back now, guys, forgot to tell you this stuff. Yeah, in regards to your leaders, this is what you need to know. So what is Paul telling them? Well, that didn't take long, did it? If you go to Galatians, okay, so what did they need to know? about the importance of, of their relationship to their leaders. Okay, fine. If you go to Ephesians, okay. Now then, in Ephesians, he deals with leadership in regards to a wider area, okay. But what we're interested about is, what does he tell the Ephesian believers about the importance of their relationship to their leaders? Because that's just so important a subject, isn't it? Right, well, if, if, if you go over to Philippians... Now something of incredible significance happens when we get to Philippians. Let's read the first couple of verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Overseers, elders, pastors, just synonymous terms. Here, for the first time, in the New Testament, when it comes to the letters that the Apostle Paul is writing to churches, now he mentions elders and he says, say hi to the elders. Interestingly, who's he writing to? The elders ain't got a letter yet, have they? But at least in this one, Paul says, oh, say hi to the elders. Okay. And what we've got here is now Paul mentions them. So, question. What now does he go on to tell the Philippians about the importance of their relationship? Right, okay, well, if you go over to 1 Thessalonians, because all he does is say, oh, tell them hi. So are you getting the point here that in Scripture we are not seeing this obsession with leadership that we get in the Christian church today? Okay, now I've got to rush now. I just saw a 10-minute sign, okay, and we've still got some stuff to cover. Okay, so we've got to look at some of the, 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 you know, the, the problem verses. And when we get to 1 Thessalonians 5, we've just got to very, very quickly check out these verses that people say, yeah, but look, Beresford, here it says that leaders are in authority over the churches. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, you'll, you'll get this, this thing in verse 12. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord and other translations do it differently, but they make out here that, that they're over you, in authority over you. The Greek word here is proistomy. And Vine, in his dictionary of the Bible, defines that word simply as to stand before, to attend to, to be concerned about, to care for, to give aid. That's what it means everywhere else in the Bible. But arbitrarily, here, they invest it with authority. There's nothing of that in the Greek word. And F.F. Bruce says that what this should be translated is uh, those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord. What a difference. Who care for you as opposed to who are over you. And elsewhere in the New Testament, it's, it's translated devoted. Elders are devoted to you in the Lord. Of course they are. But there's nothing of, of authority or, or hierarchy in regards to that. Now, Hebrews 13, we must do, okay, because I've run out of time so quickly. But I do that, you see, I get carried away. So I'm going to try and pick out the most important bits of the rest, okay, um, that I need to do. Now, Hebrews 13, and uh, if, if you go to verse 17, let me read it from uh, my translation, the NIV. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. The to their authority is not even there in the Greek. The NIV translators just bung it in to make it look good. So scrub the, their authority. It's not in the Greek. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them. So twice we've got the writer to the Hebrew saying, obey your leaders, and then once he says submit to them. Now this word obey, okay, um, is, is um, in... It, whoops, sorry, I'm on the wrong bit. 
the, 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 the normal word for obey in the sense of being in authority under, like children obey your parents, is, is hupercattle. Now, don't shoot me for my Greek pronunciation. I don't understand Greek. It's all Greek to me. So I just look the words up and do my best with pronunciation. But, but that's the normal word, the hierarchical word for obey. That's not the word that is used here at all. The word obey here is pytho. Now, let me tell you what Vine's Expository Dictionary defines this word as meaning. To persuade, to win over, to listen to, to obey. The obedience suggested is not by submission to authority, but resulting from persuasion. It's a totally wrong translation. So twice we've got the word here, obey your leaders, whereas the Greek word, pytho, doesn't mean obey at all. It means trust them. You know, you recognize them, trust them. At least take real good notice of what they say. And this word in the King James Version, pytho, that here they translate obey, is 22 times translated persuade, eight times translated trust, six times related to ha translated have confidence, uh, three times believe, two times be confident. And it's actually related to the word for a believer, someone who trusts in Jesus. It's the same word, you know, kind of related in regards to that. So the seven times in the New Testament you get it translated obey, be very, very careful. Because it doesn't mean obey in that sense at all. It means all these other things. And this word submit, submit to them. Now, again, the normal word for submit, like wives submit to your husband, so again, it's a hierarchy word, is a hupotasso, I think, something like that. But that's not the word here, it's hupaiko. And it's the only time that this is used in Scripture. And it, it does mean to submit, but not submit to authority. It means to submit to greater strength. Like, if an army's coming to invade you, if you haven't got a chance, give in, submit, right? So a wrestling match, you know, your World Wrestling Federation or whatever it is, and uh, you, you do mess up sports that remain in England in their pure form. But anyway, your world... I mean, look what you've done to soccer. Oh, dear, I can't even go into that. Soccer, goodness, should be football. And uh, so, so what it's saying is, in a wrestling match, one man submits to the greater strength and the other guy wins the bout. Okay. Now, what it's saying here in context, he's talking about, look, don't make life difficult for your elders. Make it a joy for them. It's a tough, tough function that they've got. And when you put all this in context, what he's saying is, look, don't come out fighting against the elders all the time. And I've been an elder long enough to know that if you've got someone in the church, particularly a younger person, probably a young man, well, in England it would be a young woman as well, they're all the, they put your dupes up. You know, if they've, got, if they've got a little rebellion thing going with God, you can't, you can't punch God on the nose. Who do you punch? There you go, find an elder, don't you? So really, what he's saying, look, for heaven's sake, you've recognised these guys, just trust them. And he's not saying whatever they say agree with, whatever they say do. It's just saying, look, don't fight them all the time. Have a submissive attitude to them, but not submission in the sense of whatever they say i got to do, yes, sir, elder, or anything like that. My goodness. No, it's just saying, be prepared to be persuaded. The chances are they're right. It's just saying, be prepared to be persuaded. The chances are they're right. But not necessarily, but don't keep fighting against them, okay? And uh, then, then um, in, in, in 1 Peter, uh, obviously you've got... No, I'm going to have to skip that because of time. Very, very quickly, we need to deal... So I think this is more important. The stuff in the Bible about appointing elders... And in some translations, it gets ordained elders. And for instance, uh, in Acts, we read, uh, if you just go to Acts 14.23, how am I doing for time? Five minutes. Acts 14.23. Just, just pretend I started late. <laughs> oh, please. Okay, right. Um, Acts 14, verse 23, and it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. Now, some translations put ordained. Let me tell you, the Greek word there, kairotonio, or something, 
staff like that, okay? The Greek word here, it was used of voting in the, Athesian, in the Athenian Legislative Assembly. Try saying that without your teeth in, honestly. It was used of voting in the Athesian Legislative Assembly. And it literally means, do you know what it means to stretch your hand out? Well, that's what you do when you vote, isn't it? And what Vine says about this word, he says, this is of the appointment of elders by apostolic missionaries in the various churches they revisited, by the recognition of those who had been manifesting themselves as gifted of God to discharge the function of elders. All this is saying, forget a point, because a point doesn't have to be loaded with hierarchy, but it can be, and that's how people read it. This word, all it's saying is that as they went back to churches they planted in the past, the churches were recognising the people that they felt should be elders. Now, the apostles planted those churches. They were part of that decision. They weren't making it, they were part of it. So they kind of said, hey, yeah, that seems right to us. Count us in on that. This isn't the apostles deciding who's going to be the elders and investing them with authority over the churches. Absolutely not. Now, in Titus 1.5, you get the word appoint again, but it's a different um, Greek, Greek word, and it's when Paul says to Titus to appoint elders in every city. Okay. Now, this word is kathistomy. It's a different word, but still translated appoint. Now, Vine, in his dictionary, says this. It is not a formal ecclesiastical ordination that is in view, but the appointment for the recognition of the churches, those who had already been raised up and qualified by the Holy Spirit and had given evidence of this in their life and service. So who's doing the recognizing of the elders? The churches. What are apostles doing? They're simply saying, yeah, this, yeah, amen to that. That's the point. And they're saying, well, off you go, guys. Let us pray for you. But what this is not, these are not hierarchical words saying that these guys are being invested by the apostles with authority over the churches. And in actual fact, if you go back to Acts 6, chapter 3, um, when we looked at kind of like, you know, how, how the widow's needs were met, um, in, in verse 3, this, this, this word is used, uh, to me, is used, and it says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Kathistome. Well, that's no hierarchy. It's just, we'll turn this responsibility over to them. That's all it means, to recognize them as the ones that the church is recognizing as needing to do that function. Okay. So there are one or two things that verses that we would have gone to that people, but we're just running out of time. But I, I just want to sum up so you've got the bare bones because you can follow on with this obviously in your own studies. But what we've got basically is that leadership is non-hierarchical. The church governs itself consensually. And this is why what Mike was saying was so helpful earlier on. There are a ton of things that you might think, well, what about this, what about that? We know what they do, we know what they do. Right, okay, they may be right, they may be wrong. You can look, hey, well, what do Beresford and that weird church in England do? Fine, look at us, fine. But we might be right, we might be wrong. The point is, you decide as a church for yourselves. But also, if there's something that you think important and you've got stuck on it, put it on the shelf, come back to it later. You know, don't think that church is all about having committee meetings to decide things. It's not. It's loving Jesus together. It's helping each other to grow in the Lord. But I'm just showing you that if you have hierarchy, it will enslave you. It will not help you. And I just want to throw this in because it's so important. It's so much on my heart and always has been about this. But it doesn't often get said in this way. And, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about it. But it's, it's so important. God has put order in the family. It is ridiculous to think that leadership in a church can have authority over the church. It is ridiculous, biblically, to think that a church, everyone in the church, ought to submit to the leaders. And I'll tell you why. The hierarchy that is already in the church is husbands, wives and children. If you buy into the idea that leaders can have authority over the church, then what are you saying to our ladies? Are they supposed to submit to their husbands or the leader of a church? You cannot submit to two masters. It's a ridiculous idea. 
So or the, the idea of hierarchical leadership in Christian churches undermines and destroys the family. And if you get a situation where the leader says this, and maybe dad's not happy, wife thinks it's great, there's an encouragement there to divide families. How can you teach wives, submit to your husbands, if you're saying, but I'm the leader, submit to me? It's simply a nonsense. You're trying to make four-sided triangles. It's just not possible, okay? Now, I'm going to end with this verse. It is so important. Go to Acts 20. Um, Paul's time with the Ephesian elders, his last time. There's a prophecy here. People don't realize this is a prophecy. It's one of the most important prophecies in Scripture that believers need to know. He's talking to the elders. It has two parts. Verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Prophecy number one. People will come from the outside, infiltrate you, but when you realize they're wolves, if they won't repent, you've got to protect yourselves from them. But the second one is this. He says, even from your own number. Who? The elders there. Even from your own number. This is why elders can't be trusted with authority. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth. Distort what truth? In order to draw away disciples after them. Now, what's the function of an elder? To help you grow more and more in Jesus and to more and more be a disciple of Jesus. Paul says here, uh, an error is going to come into the church and it's going to be the error that leadership will arrive that says, follow me, do what I say. Here in Acts, Paul is prophesying as clear as day what happened through the early church fathers, whose first false teaching was that there should be hierarchical government over the church. Leaders who were in charge of the church by 150 AD, the early church fathers were teaching that you submitted to God by submitting to the bishop. And by then, they had an ecclesiastical bishop over the whole area. Each church had its own priest. And for the last 1900 years, the Christian church has been following the teaching of the very men that this prophecy warned us against. I'll finish there. Questions, comeback, responses. Yes, this brother here. Oh, sorry. You, uh, you were just being annoyed by Mike sitting behind you. I understand that. Yeah, no, he's, he's from a cult. Okay. <laughs> John, please. Oh, yeah, we need... Oh, yeah, just wait for the old microphone. Is this all coming out on the video okay? Oh, it is. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> This English Bible teacher, how do you do that? Okay, John, please. Yeah, I think it's interesting in uh, Hebrews 13 that uh, the uh, leaders are mentioned three times. <clears throat> in verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. <clears throat> then in verse 13, which you covered, and then at the end, Greet all your leaders and all God's people. So uh, it would appear to me that contextually the reason that he's encouraging them to uh, look at the leaders is because, as we know, the Hebrews were wavering and temp being tempted to go back to the Old Covenant. And so apparently in this situation, the leaders were very strong uh, in the New Covenant. And so he's encouraging them to look at their yeah. example. And I think that yeah. helps understand why uh, he's pointing them to them. But isn't it interesting, at the end he just says, greet all your leaders, like, you know, say hello to them. Yeah. It's like he's, they're not even there. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, be persuaded by your leaders is, is the perspective, and listen to them and, and uh, be persuaded by them, by the, God's word. Search the scriptures and see what is so. Yeah, that's right. And of course the reason that Paul hardly ever mentions elders when he writes to churches is quite simply he's writing to the churches. 
Well, the elders are just brothers. They're being written to, but not as elders. That's purely a function. And remember that Jesus said about authority, he said to the disciples, you'll, you'll have the authority of slaves and children. What a weird thing to say. I mean, they're, they're the two classes in that society that had no authority. So, therefore, we've got to ask the question, so do leaders, do elders have any, any type of authority at all? And the answer is yes, of course they do, but it's moral authority. Can you see the difference? It's not because they're telling you what to do. If you've recognised these guys because they've proven themselves to you over years before you recognise them, then the point is there are going to be times when they can take a strong lead. And in the same way that Mike was saying in all those years of marriage, and uh, I'll have the walking frame in the post to you, um, <laughs> after all those years, how many times has he had to, to, even as a husband who does have authority, how many times has he had to put his foot down? Very rarely. Now, in the same way, it's only going to be rare, but in crises and emergencies, if the elders have the respect of the people, there may be circumstances where no one knows what to do. There might be chaos. But the elders can have the moral authority because they've been given it to say, well, look, guys, in this instance, I can't see there's any hope of consensus. We believe this is the way we need to go. Now, if they're trusted by the church, then they will be able to carry people with them. But not because they're saying, you're under my authority, but because over years those people have learned to trust you. So it's moral authority. So we're not saying here that leaders have no teeth. Because when it says in Hebrews about don't, keep, don't come out fighting against the elders, I will tell you this, if you do get people in a church who are fighting, causing trouble or whatever, when they hit up against an elder, now first, you're just a brother. But if you eventually hit up against an elder as an elder, you are hitting up against an immovable object. Because he knows. And you won't get past the elders in a biblical church. And that's your safety. But not because they're in charge, and that would be rare. But because you've recognised them, you trust them. That's the key to this. Relationships, not hierarchical authority. None in the church. Yes, please. Oh, microphone here. As you're speaking of all of this, um, I feel that uh, um, God's drawing us into the, the family relationship, period. And I saw something um, while we were here. I saw a, a young man, and uh, he was standing, and his, his little brother came up to him. And he reached up, and he, he touched his arm, and he was getting his attention. And, and the older brother looked down and, and uh, uh, paid attention to him and, and put his arm around him. But that's the entire relationship of, a, of an elder, is the love. It's uh, those yeah. who, are, who are older. Yeah. And uh, a brother outside, he said, uh, he said that our purpose is, that's a minefield. And we've already walked through there. Yeah. And uh, we know where the mines are at. And that's the whole purpose of coming to respect those who are older in the Lord and more mature. Yeah, and that's what elder means. That's the qualification simply one of the older brothers in the assembly, and that is the relationship. But first and foremost, they're just brothers, that's the point. You know, don't think, you know, this is so-and-so, he's an elder. No, it, he's just, I'm just Beresford. Now, when Americans try to call me Berry, you see, this would make me an elder Berry. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> And there's enough rumours about me being a fruitcake already. No, <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm just me. Mike's just Mike. Steve's just Steve. Eldership is simply a function. Every now and then you have to put the elder hat on, if you see what I mean. Mike. I just wanted to clarify something. Um, when I said I put my foot down, I shared this with some of the men, but we had run, we didn't have insurance, Christy needed some medication, and she's Swiss and she's cheap and she wouldn't pay for it. And and I, I had really prayed about it, and she, she came into my office, and I was sitting in a chair crying, and she said, what's the matter? And I said, 
I have to exercise my headship. And she said, what do you mean? I'm a, when, when you said I put my foot down, I, I oh, make yeah, sure they so, understand. Yeah, yeah. And she looked at yeah. me and I said, I want you to go to the drugstore and I want you to purchase your medication. And she said, okay. And I cried the rest of the day. There is the exercise of authority is always, like John said the first night, from brokenness. Yeah. And if it has even the slightest taste of, I'm the boss, mm. it's, it's not the... Yeah, yeah. The, the, I just want to make sure that they didn't think oh. I tied Christy up and made her do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. No, I was just meaning that there are times when, when, you know, sort of like there's a kind of a pulling rank. Now, at least the husband is in authority over his wife, but a husband who's pulling rank all the time is missing the point. Now, with elders who don't have such authority, what I'm meaning, they're not going to pull rank because they don't have any rank. But there may be a time when they do implore the church, they say, this, this is really important, Re really need you to listen carefully. And because they have that respect, then the church will go with them. But, uh, you know, but anyone who's all the time saying, well, you've got to listen to me as the elder now, is missing the point. Primarily, you're just, I'm just part of the decision-making process at home in our church as a brother. It's as simple as that. John. Yeah, in regards to uh, financial decisions, um, how would you go about that? In a consensus manner? I mean, supportive missionaries, uh, money's given to go to conferences like this or whatever else. Right, yeah, we, we, we don't have um, a kind of like a church fund uh, because, I mean, obviously a biblical church doesn't need any money, has no infrastructure, has no salaries to pay. Five more minutes for questions. Um, so, so for us, we don't actually have any ongoing fund and primarily giving is just down to individuals. Free will offering, people giving according to their ability as the Lord leaves, etc., etc. However, um, they're, they're, it's quite biblical for, for, for people or churches to arrange collections as long as it's not benefiting them. That's the point. So that anyone in the church is free to say, here is a need, is this an occasion when we need as a church to give collectively to something? Now, anyone is free to suggest that at any point, and in the past, there have been, we've, we've bought cars for people, we've sent money to whatever. It, you know, it could be anything. We have one guy, uh, you know, converted out of prison, marriage split up, couldn't get to his kids too far away. And as a church, someone suggested, and we all felt, yeah, we're going to buy this guy a car. So whatever the need is, if the church says, yeah, that, I mean, obviously he didn't know anything about it, we excluded him because obviously it concerned him. So he didn't know anything until he got the car. But the point was, whether it's for a need like that in the church or a charity or whatever, anyone can suggest. If that's cool with the church, okay, and, uh, oh, by the way, do you know how I managed to look so cool? I kept these clothes in the fridge last night. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry. And, and, and then we'll, we'll simply, because there must never be any pressure, never pressure, all right, forgiving, absolutely no pressure whatsoever forgiving okay that, that that we arrange a date in the future that's long enough for everyone to take into account and arrange their finances obviously because obviously all the time we're all giving other places so you've just got to regroup if now something extra has come up a bit and we simply set a date that the collection is over and we arrange at the same time an anonymous means of giving so it, it might be someone's pocket, not mine incidentally. No, I mean, it, it, it might be we put a box out or we say someone's jacket or, you know, I mean, but the point, everyone knows how they can give so that they're doing it secretly and so they've got plenty of time to arrange their affairs. When the date for the closure of that collection comes, the money is simply gathered and however much there is, it's sent to whatever the car bought or whatever, because it's sent, sent off. And obviously that, that's done with everyone knowing what's happening. 
But, uh, you know, I mean, there's no one in the church who'd be palming off money. You know, we're pretty happy about that at the moment anyway. But that's basically how we do it. So, yeah, certainly there's a place for a church corporately, but again, it, it would only be done consensually. You couldn't have someone who says, well, God has put this on my heart and this is what we're going to do. I couldn't say that. No one else could say it in the church. You've got to have this sense, yeah, this is what the Lord is saying. Because here's the point. If you're not happy it's what the Lord is saying, how can you do it with a full heart? So that's how we arrange that. Anything else? Two minutes. I love Tim. He's making these Florida minutes. <laughs> I.e. they're longer than 60 seconds. So bless him, yeah? Jonathan? Uh, just a quick one. One of the metaphors that has helped in my own thinking is there is a vast difference between the, the authority of a father and the, the authority of an older brother. Yeah. Elders are not fathers. That's right. Elders are older brothers. Yes, absolutely. I reckon we've got time for one more. Real quick one. Yes, this brother over here. The cameraman. Uh, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12. God has set first. Uh, God has set first in the church, first the apostle, then the prophet, yeah. then um, teachers, yeah. ministrations, etc., etc., etc. Obviously, those who are are called of apostles, prophets, in a, in a true biblical sense. Um, since that, you're saying that there's no hierarchy authority. Obviously, we first submit to the the um, the word of God, it being the supreme, obvious, you know, guide and rule. But what happens when uh, those who are elder brothers and those who, who may be our tenant ministries who are trying to help or try to give direction or try to, by virtue of the fact that that's their calling, hmm. they see something the elders don't see. Um, maybe you can explore some of that with regards to, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Oh, right. Well, yeah. I mean, if, 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 if I, you know, I mean, obviously back home in the church, I'm just one of the brothers, okay. But if I'm traveling, you know, and I'm accountable to them, part of the consensus, just like anyone else's. Now, obviously in traveling, if I'm with a church, I mean, here we've got a conference, but if I'm actually spending time with the church, I simply consider myself, I mean, okay, I might be coming in from the outside, and they might be saying, hey, give us some teaching, help us along. But I'm just there as a brother. And, 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 and I consider myself just part of that body like anyone else. So if they're saying, hey, you know, any pointers you've got, or if I see problems, I'm free to mention, hey, you know, you might want to look at this. But once I've done that, that's purely down to them. So the point is itinerant ministries are not coming in telling you what to do. They're coming in to say, well, here's, here's my best understanding of what might be good for you. But then on what basis does the church then decide whether what you've said is right or wrong? Their own consensus. So no one can come in from the outside and start telling you what to do. That's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and obviously even if I was teaching some, something and they all said, oh, no, absolutely not, we're not having that, then I would say, well, okay then, I mean, I won't teach that here anymore, but depending on how vital it seemed to me, well, I'm then free to decide whether that's somewhere there's any point in me going back. But to be and trying and imposing something on someone is just to have too higher opinion of your own self. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So, so again, if you know, sort of like you know, if I, if 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 we are with the church and I'm teaching there, I, I, we just think ourselves as part of that church. We're no more in charge than anyone else is. Of course not. And would mutually submit to everyone there. I see a big zero that's come up. So that's it. Um, thanks very much for for listening. You've been listening to one of the six plenary sessions from the 12th Southern House Church Conference held at Lake Yield Conference Center in Leesburg, Florida, May 20th to the 22nd, 2005. Permission is hereby freely granted to reproduce these tapes. For more information about New Testament church life, log on to www.ntrf.org.